chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I don't think we've got any announcements. Uh, now the 24th of this month, which will be Sunday after next, a week from Sunday, we'll have our panel discussion uh, that afternoon service. So, all right, that's all I've got. Anything else? Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, and I think I left off verse 11, or got there anyway, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Uh, these things, whatever they are, that are done in darkness, in secret. See, and that's where you get the clubs, like the Freemasons, and there's others too, the odd fellas, and they all have secret initiations and all that. And no child of God ought to be a, a part of that. Not at all. For other not only that, but for many other reasons. But that's one thing. And there's nothing mysterious about the Lord's service. Never is to be. And uh, with Roman Catholicism, it's all mystery. And it's, it's not of God. So he says, have uh, no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And to reprove them, means to you, you must say something about it and about the error of it, the wrong of it, and give the right thing. You've got, that's what our obligation is. People, oh, you don't, don't stir it up. Well, he says to do it. All right. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Well, now the word shame, it's used quite a few times in the Old Testament, and it's used a few times in the New Testament, but I've noticed that a lot of people, and I've heard a lot of preachers say this, well, a shame is not a sin, and I'll give you one uh, example, look at 1 Corinthians 11. Verse uh, 14, talking about the length of hair on a man and on a woman and the head covering in addition to the hair for a woman or a man in church not having one. So in verse 14 he says, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, 
It is a shame unto him. Well, and somebody said, well, how do you know how long is long? I've always said if you've got to ask the question, it's too long. Is this too long? You know good and well it is. In the Revelation, chapter 9, when those wild, I think they're demons, but those uh, locusts come up out of that bottomless pit, the description of them simply says, they have hair like women. Now, is there anybody who does not know what that means? If you say a man has hair like a woman, do you have to guess at what that is? No, the truth is you don't. Nobody has to. Because you know good and well what a woman is to look like and what a man is to look like. But when he says, if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. And I've heard preachers, Baptist preachers say, well, that's, that's not a sin, no. I beg to differ with that. Now, here's a couple of definitions. Shame and ashamed. It's used in the Old Testament and it's also used in the New Testament. Here's one definition. A painful emotion of misery, reproach, embarrassment, arising from guilt for sin or an unworthy act or impropriety. So the shame itself may not be the sin, but the reason the shame is there is because of the sin. Here's another one. Shame is the appropriate evidence of conviction touching anything wrong in God's sight. Look at Genesis 2.25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They had no reason to be ashamed because they have not, had not done anything against God. Now, look at Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah is talking about the Israelites, the Judeans. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Now, they're being rebuked because they're not ashamed. When they should have been ashamed because of the idolatrous, behavior 
wicked behavior of them. They should have been ashamed. So you may say that ashamed itself is not sin. It's not the sin. But the reason it is there is because of the sin. Uh, I've got a few more scriptures. Look at Romans 6. Verse 20, Paul says, For when you all were the servants of sin or slaves of sin, you were free from righteousness. Didn't have any. What fruit had you then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Not that they're doing those things now, but they're ashamed to even hear about what they had done. For the end of those things is death. Uh, now I've got a bunch of scriptures here. But I'm not going to uh, read them all. I'll give you a list of them if you want. But my point is this. That shame. It is a shame even to speak of those. Well speaking of those things. Of the things that they do behind, I mean, I don't, I've never been in a, a fraternity. I don't know anybody's been in a sorority or a fraternity. Sororities for women and fraternities for men. But I know that those initiations are very, very wicked. I wouldn't want my child to go to one of those, not at all. Uh, and the same thing in high school, those, uh, clubs, some of those clubs, it was, it was shameful what they, what they did in their initiations. Uh, it, I mean, just terrible things. Well, you talk about them, you're involved in it too. So it's, it is a shame even to speak of them. Verse 13 now. Now, you never heard that much on a shame, have you? Okay. But all things that are reproved, now notice he said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now he says, uh, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Well, what would that be? The light would be the word of God. They are made Shed the light of the word of God on those dark things of darkness that you're reproving. And they'll be made manifest, revealed like Amos's plumb line. In the middle of a crooked generation, he's got a plumb line that shows, reveals their crookedness. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Look at John 3 real quick. Verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20. 
Well, look at verse 19. And this is a condemnation, the judgment, that light is coming to the world, and the light is Jesus Christ. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And the light reveals, makes manifest the deeds of evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Why don't they like the word of God that just told you that? Everyone that doeth evil hates the light. That his deeds are neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. It's just the opposite. So, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now the contrast here, those in darkness and those in light. That's the contrast. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, the English word circumspectly, we've got that in our church covenant, to walk circumspectly. It's a compound word. Circum, walking around. A circumference. Speckly, from the, you wear spectacles, it's talking about seeing. Looking around, being careful as we walk, looking where we walk. Uh, Dave, we used to work on tall buildings, didn't we? You had to walk circumspectly, didn't you? Some places you were in, you wanted to make sure where that foot was going before you ever put it there. It, it was up life-threatening. And we need to look at our lives the same way. Every step we take, walk circumspectly. And in so doing, you won't be a fool but you'll be wise. A wise man who has his wisdom from God, a wise woman, will walk circumspectly. They won't be irresponsible about where they go and what they do. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Well, uh, that word, look, look, look back at Galatians Chapter 3, just turn back a couple of pages there. Verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ hath redeemed us. That's in the Greek, exagorazo, exagorazo. 
exact same word as in verse 16 of chapter 5, redeeming the time. The word itself means buying back. You can look, there's also another reference in chapter 4 of Galatians. Verse 5. Uh, but when, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Exact same word, both references in Galatians, and then our reference in uh, Ephesians 5, it's the exact same word. And it means a buying back. With reference to our sins, he bought us back from the slave market of sin by paying our sin debt. What we are to do, we are to redeem what time we have. I don't know how much more time I've got. It couldn't be a lot. Well, whatever time I've got, I need to redeem that time. That means buy it back and use it for the glory and honor of God. If I was a young man, I would still have that obligation to redeem the time because we're not going to live in this way forever. It's going to come to an end. Some of them come to an abrupt end. Some fade out. But it's all going to come to an end. Methuselah lived 969 years and he died. So it's, we're all on a short leash as we're, with reference to our time. So we don't have time to be wasting it. Some people waste more time, and then I don't, know, I don't know where they think they've got the time to waste, but they just waste time. Say, well, I, I'd, I'd like to learn this or learn that. You better get to it. Somebody said, I'd like to learn New Testament Greek. Get on it. You can do it if you want to do it. Say, well, I don't have time. Make time. Because just like if you write an article, for a, say an English class, you're an English 101. An instructor tells you that you must write a, a, a paper on a such and such subject, but you've got to do it in 200 words or less. Well, you write that thing, and you end up, you've got pages of it. But you can't turn that in. What you have to do, you have to go back through there and you have to eliminate all of your superfluous stuff. Stuff that's just not necessary. And when you whittle that thing down, you might have a good little readable article. But when you get it down under your limit where you can get a grade on it, probably over half of it, you didn't even need it there. You just wasted it. So you're... You had to redeem those words. Buy back that which, which is usable and gradable. Well, our time is the same way. Listen, every one of us have got 24 hours. We've all got the same amount of time. So, well, I have to do this and I have to do that. Well, my mother always used to say, if you want to get something done, you get a busy person to do it. 
Because if they're not busy, they're not apt to do anything either. But a busy person will find a spot here and a spot here to get that done. Now, I know when I was in Lexington Baptist College going to school, working, supporting the family, and preaching, I didn't have any time for myself. I, I really didn't. I, ne I didn't have any time at all. I went constantly. I didn't get a lot of sleep. I got a very guarded amount of sleep, and I had to get my stuff done. You know, I was in college. Uh, Dave Collier, several of them worked at IBM. Poor old David come and work all night. Come in there and hear him hit his head on the wall and nodding off in class. Well, grown men have to, they have to keep their job going, but they, they've got a school load. Well, they made it. He made it. We made it. Anyway, but you have to do it by redeeming the time, and you can't get resentful over it. If you want to do it, do it. And don't complain about it. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. The, well, why are they evil? Some of the commentaries talked about just how immoral they are and all that. That's true enough. That out there in the world. It's, it's, I think what he's talking about, the days are evil. I think they're coming on us. Uh, like Beverly and I talk about. You turn around two times. It's Sunday morning, six o'clock. We're getting ready for we get over here. Hey, where'd the time go? It's gone. Every week goes. How many more have got? I don't know, but I know one thing: every week is moving me right closer to the time I'm running out. Every one of them. So if I want to get something done, I got to shut my mouth and do it. Anyway, the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not under unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And this is the will of the Lord, that we redeem the time. Every one of us, not just one, one every one of us, that we redeem the time. And be, be not unwise, be wise. He says in verse 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now I know some of them make a point there. It's all right to drink wine just so you don't drink too much. I'm not sure that's what he's saying. But here is what he's actually saying. You read the whole verse. When you, when you drink an excess of wine, and I don't think you have to drink much of it, unless you're a drinker. You lose control of yourself. David, you talking about picking up that drunk fella. He didn't know where he was or what he was doing. He had no control of his thoughts. You get on drugs, you have you lose you have no control of yourself. But he's comparing that. With being filled with the Spirit. Now how does that compare? Here's how it is. When you're under the control of wine, alcohol, or it's a drug, whatever. You don't have any control. It has control. 
But if you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to walk according to the word of God. Now you're under the control of the Lord. And there's your big difference. So be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, or with the Spirit, but that's the Holy Spirit. Now, Brother Brown said, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be led by the Word of God. Can't be filled with the Spirit and go against the Word of God. Can't do it. Then he says in the process of that, now look at, look at the attitude. Here, here's, here's the results of being uh, filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now there is the heart of a man or a woman who is filled with the Spirit of God. Now look at that. Think about yourself. Now, the hard shells and the Campbellites, Church of Christ, they, they vilify musical instruments. But that word psalm there in the Greek is psalmos, and it means the same thing that it means in the Hebrew Old Testament, songs that are accompanied with musical instruments. I don't know how the hard shells do that. Now, I like their a cappella singing. That choir that sings on LaSara Bradley's program, but that, that was a conference. That's not no church choir. That was all the preachers getting together and their families and singing. That's a beautiful singing. But they said no, no instruments. I don't know how they do that. Song, the word means songs accompanied with musical instruments. And you look in the Psalms itself and look at all of the variety of instruments. You've got string, you've got wood reed, you've got brass reed, you've got drums, you've got all of it. Uh, every kind of instrument you can think of. Uh, anyway, what an attitude. If you're walking around all day speaking to yourselves, in Psalms, you got 150 of them. And hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making harmony, melodies, harmony in your heart to the Lord. You don't have time for Satan to get in there. You don't have room for Satan to get in there and destroy your mind. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Boy. First, that's the church members. We're not lorded over any one of us. We submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. That keeps you humble. That keeps you from fighting. And then, 
He begins on wives and husbands. So I th say the first thing that a wife and a husband needs to do, submit themselves one to another in the fear of God. Amen? Yeah. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, how does the Lord control you? With a whip? Nah. Not at all. With his mercy? Yeah. With his love? Yeah. I know we talk about it against a lot of this talk about love of God. But the Lord loves his people. Jesus Christ loves his bride, his church. And he has already given his life for it. And he doesn't use a rod of iron on his church, nor on his people. And if a woman can't submit herself to her own husband, she ought not to have married him. Because a husband is the head of the wife. That head is not Lord. He's not the slave master and she's not his slave. Amen? Amen? He's the manager. He's to be the manager of the house. Not the slave driver, but the manager of the house. Even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. And he's already proven himself on the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now notice in that marriage there, the first mention of love between the husband and wife is towards the husband. Who, who interjects love into a marriage relationship? The husband does. Isn't that what it says? She's to submit unto him. He's not to have her under submission. She is to submit to him of her own free will. And he is to love her Enough that he would even die for, because that's what Christ did. That's the example of Christ and his bride. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Jesus doesn't do a thing to us that's not in his word. He says, all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's how he leads us. And it's by the word. I don't think that you could ever hurt somebody with the word. Anyway. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But it should be holy and without blemish. Now he's talking about his church there. There's a similarity of comparison between a husband and a wife.
Now this won't work if the husband's lost and the wife's saved or the husband's saved and the wife's lost. It won't work. It never does work. That's why you ought not to be unequally yoked together. But if you are equally yoked together in the Lord, then this ought to work beautifully. And so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. There's no room for selfishness in a husband-wife relationship, just as there is none in the relationship between Christ and his church, his bride. No room at all for selfishness in there. They too shall be one flesh. And as I say, your wife is not your enemy. Your husband is not your enemy. And don't act like it. Think of what you say and how you treat them. Don't treat them as a, as a slave or as an enemy. That's not what you are. They too shall be one flesh. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. When you're loving your wife, you're not doing any more than just loving your own self. Because no man ever yet hated his own flesh. It tickles me, some of these, these uh, preachers, that, counseling preachers, they say, well, the first thing you got to do is learn to love yourself. They all say that. Because you hate yourself. I don't see that being a problem. I think the problem is most people love themselves way too much. And you look at all of the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Selfishness should have no part in our lives. Shouldn't have. And if it is, it ain't going to work. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. But nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That's not a universal invisible body. And for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother. And shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now that's just about a word for word quote from Genesis. The man leaves mama and daddy, and he cleaves unto his wife. I won't do it now at the time, but between the, the Greek here and the Hebrew in Genesis. The words mean adhere to, stick to. I said years ago, every husband and wife ought to be stuck 
to each other and not stuck with each other. Many people are stuck with, and that's why it never works. But God said we're to be adhered together to my, my wife. They shall be joined unto, he shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. It's not going to remain a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the major teaching here is about Christ and his church. That's first and foremost. The secondary teaching is about the husband and the wife. But what a level you've got. You can't get better marital counseling anywhere in the world than right here. I don't care how many uh, psychotic degrees he's got. You can't get counseling to surpass this right here. So remember that if you're talking to somebody trying to help them. You stick with the word. That's what Paul meant in Romans when he said, I'm certain, I'm positive that you all are able to admonish one another, to counsel one another, to hear another's problems, and to feed back the word of God. Mature believers can do that. And don't ever try to counsel somebody without the word of God. That's why I say, well, you can open up a counseling service. I do my counseling from the pulpit. In private, I, this is what I counsel with. The word of God. I don't do any different. I don't know anything different. This is it. So, the major teaching is about Christ and his church, his bride. The secondary teaching, oh, it's very important. He says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Now, those, those are big words there. What will a person do to save their life? You do a lot. You'd do a lot to keep from getting hurt or killed, wouldn't you? I would. Do all I'm capable of. So however much you would do for your life, you should do equally as much for her life. And that's what he's saying. And the wife see that she reverenced her husband. So you go over the first Peter and see where Sarah called Abraham Lord. Now that's not capital L. That was little L. And that word uh, kurios in the Greek uh, is used for all sorts of things. 
and the context determines it. But she didn't call him God, she called him Lord Manager. And see that she reverenced him like that. So that's chapter 5. And if you notice, chapter 4 and chapter 5, they absolutely, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, they got us into the church. They, every chapter is a church book. And yet you take the reformers, they pull out the sovereignty of God and election and leave the rest of it alone. Anyway, there is the first five chapters.